Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. All right. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast, episode 46. It's going to be me today by myself, and I want to talk a little bit today about fear. Um, this has been something that's been coming up in a lot of clients' life and my own life um, over the last, man, <clears throat> what, 18 months of the pandemic. I think uh, just a lot of people are afraid, and it seems like a constant thing. And so I had been thinking about it in my own life and just felt like today was the day to talk about it. So, you know, part of part of the problem is there there's a lot of conversations I hear in session and in our culture about fear. And some people use fear to intimidate. You know, we've seen that. Some people use fear to get what they get people to do what they want to, uh, to manipulate them into doing that. Sometimes we use it as an excuse not to act, to to be able to sit back and and not be able to do the hard thing. And fear, you know, it can be a terrible friend and a spokesperson in your head, right? I mean, it's like constantly speaking doubt and uh, anxiety. And so sometimes when we want to step out in faith, that fear can tend to hold us back. And so I just wanted to talk about that a little bit. Um, My friend Tyler Hennessy recently wrote a song called Fear to Faith, and it's just so good. And um, I was very proud of him for writing it. So shout out to Tyler. You can find it on iTunes. I'm going to put the link in the the podcast title or whatever. I like it a lot because it talks about how we move from fear to faith more than we would like to admit. Uh, Those aren't the lyrics, but that's kind of the general theme. Um, That it's a battle that we find ourselves in many times in life, but God is with us even when we are empty. And honestly, that's, you know, really just how he wants us to be dependent on him, to be dependent on his strength and not our own and not our own ability. But man, I don't like that. I I want it to be on my ability. I want to be able to step out and show God that I can do it, that I'm enough, that I can make him happy, that I can please him. And a lot of times that comes from uh, our parents and our view of them. And we kind of put God in this parental role where we got to make him proud and make him happy. And that gets really distorted really quickly. Another super popular song in, in the last few years has been the Zach Williams song, Fear is a Liar. And I think it's interesting that both of these songs talk about fear, how they take our breath. And I know that in my own life when I'm struggling with anxiety and fear, even I, even as I do this podcast, you know, you have to take a breath every once in a while and you're trying to get this out and nervous doing it. And, and you find yourself, you know, not being able to breathe uh, when you speak in front of people, when you um, have to work out really hard or you have to, you know, do a do a, a performance. You start to get that rapid heart breath, uh, breath and heartbeat and the breath kind of takes your, uh, whew, you just can't get it together. You know, when we struggle with anxiety and fear. We just can't find that space to breathe. And so, you know, it feels like somebody has a grip on your heart and is just kind of squeezing it. Well, the word, I found it interesting, the word breath in Hebrew is the word ruach. And uh, ruach is a Hebrew word uh, that means spirit, breath, and wind. And so when spoken, the word engages like 
the idea of our breath and our lungs. And the first time this is mentioned, uh, the word Ruach in the Bible is in the very, very first chapter of Genesis, uh, chapter one, verse two it says, and the earth was as formless and desolate emptiness and the darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit, the Ruach of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And this is also the same word <clears throat> that is used when God breathed the breath of life into Adam's nostrils and he came alive in, in Genesis. It's also the same word that's used to describe Saul's conversion to Paul on the road to Damascus, and the same word that's used when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the disciples in the early church. So it's this idea that every time we breathe in, it's it's actually we're breathing in God's love and the Holy Spirit that sustains us, this ruach, this... We draw breath, and a lot of times people, you know, we'll talk about worth and value with people, and, and I'll tell them there's only one thing you have to do to have worth and value, right? And that's draw breath, that's breathe, because if you're alive, you have worth and value that God gives you. Um, so it's a, it's not a wonder when, you know, we're afraid that we start to breathe shallow and we find it hard to draw breath. And Satan, right, the great manipulator and the father of lies, he, he has us right where we want us. So I want to talk about fear and faith today and, and what, what's appropriate fear and what's not. And how do we live in a scary and broken world and, and have no fear, as Scripture calls us to, to do? Is that what we're called to do? What, what does this mean? And, and how does fear affect our mental health? And how do we overcome fear? Or better yet, really learn to lean into it and give it to God. So I hope today brings you some encouragement, but also hope it stirs you to action, uh, not just in your own lives, but in the lives of others. If you're listening to this for the first time, I'm going to give you a little brief overview of who I am. Um, I'm a counselor here in Treeport, Louisiana. I'm an ordained minister and a trauma and sexual addiction professional. I partner with the Hub Urban Ministry to help men and women out of human trafficking and poverty. And so I've worked with a lot of people, <clears throat> men and women and children, who deal with fear and anxiety. And myself, I've struggled with it uh, over the years. You know, I'll give you a quick overview of kind of specifically in, in my testimony. There's a lot we could talk about but around anxiety and fear. I'm from central Louisiana. My parents divorced when I was about eight. My dad worked away a lot. There was a lot of conflict in the home. Um, I grew up in the church, but didn't really understand what living out my faith meant. And at a young age, I experienced some sexual trauma along with bullying, and, and that led to just constant anxiety. At the time, I went to the doctor, and I was told I had IBS, um, irritable bowel syndrome. And so I took Prilosec, and, and I remember my grandmother every Every other day, I would go to her office when I was 8, 9, 10 years old, and, and she would drive me home 5, 10 minutes to her house. I would use the bathroom, take my Lana, and then come back to school. And I remember just being so embarrassed. Um, I remember going to baseball games and basketball games and events. And uh, I'll never forget, I thought about this this weekend. I went on a vacation with a with a friend of mine, Cale Haney, and uh, his dad. And we were going to Florida, and we had to stop like five times because I had to use the bathroom so bad. And it and now looking back as a clinician, I realized it was it was anxiety. It was clinical anxiety. I'd get excited or nervous, and man, it <clears throat> it would give me diarrhea and and problems and uh, make me nauseous. And and I was always just kind of treating it, treating the symptom. And I see a lot of that in our culture and even in the church, where we we focus on symptom treatment and we never really get to the root. You know, we take medications and we find ways to busy ourselves and forget about the fear, but we never truly pull that root up. After high school, I joined the military, uh, the United States Army, um, Louisiana National Guard at the time, and um, my second week of basic training was 9-11. And about a year later, I went to Afghanistan for the war against the Taliban and bin Laden, and two years after that, I was deployed to the Superdome for Katrina, 
And I was face to face with one of the worst disasters in U.S. history at the time. And so <clears throat> when I decided to get out of the military, you know, I, all this anxiety, all this fear, you know, I never really dealt with it. And so, you know, I got into drinking and, and dating and pornography and many, a bunch of other things to cope with my pain and my fear. Eventually, I started having panic attacks. Uh, I remember the first time that I had one, I was in my mom's house and I'll never forget the, she had this like shag carpet that I reached out kind of in arms wide, gripping the carpet. And I just remember being so overwhelmed and so ashamed and so triggered by thoughts and feelings and, and things that I was having. And she came home and I remember crying and we eventually said, okay, well, I need some help. And so that's where I first started the journey of going to counseling. I found a Christian counselor. Um, and you know, I think now like I need to figure this dude's out name out and thank him because he was very helpful for four or five sessions. And, uh, you know, so I got started that journey and you know, the rest is history. And so I eventually reached out, um, to this counselor because, you know, I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know where the root cause was. And everybody around me was just saying, Oh, just don't, you know, pray about it, do this, read your Bible more. And so, um, you know, I say all the time that there, there are some fear that you, you will see, um, that, you just you just have no clue where it's coming from, and so you have to have other people looking, looking into your life, looking into your background to figure out what what the roots are. You you can't seem to find it yourself and figure it out yourself because you're just trying to survive it. So since I got into therapy and became a parent, I mean, there's obviously a lot more trauma that's happened from you know having children with special needs to miscarriages. Um, but God has continued to give me you know a wonderful community and therapy for support. And people ask me why I do what I do and. You know, I like to point them to Scripture. Uh, Genesis says, you know, when it's speaking of the devil's schemes, in Genesis fifty twenty, it says, You intended to harm me, but God intended for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And so I think about this in my own story, and I, I think about being a counselor and doing this podcast and having this amazing staff that I do and the friends that I have that are every day getting up and coming and trying to help people you know, change their life, change their fear, change their anxiety. And it's like, if not for the trauma and the abuse and all those things and God using those things for good, then there, you know, the saving of many lives kind of plays out in that. And so what I want people to understand today is like, that's not just my story. That's everyone's story. My story is not special or unique. Um, you know, I struggle with anxiety and depression and PTSD and this combination of Christian counseling and church support and the word of the Lord redeemed and continues to redeem me. And that, that is something that is offered to everyone. And everyone's story is, is unique and special, and, and yet they're not. And so those, those two truths are true at the same time, that the way that we go through things is unique and is special. But the way that it kind of plays out in our lives with the symptoms of anxiety, depression, whatever the mental health issue, it, there's not that many varying degrees, and, and thank goodness— um, and so I just feel like God has given me this platform and purpose to help others through these similar situations. And I hope that today you can feel some of that and you can stop feeling so alone and helpless in your fear. So I think, you know, I think fear and anxiety is, is one of the biggest issues we have to tackle as a church and in the world right now. In just a short 12 years, we've seen an increase in anxiety disorders, teen suicide, self-harm, and a massive amount of people on anxiety medication, you know, that that's given to them by their primary care physician without any script to go to counseling and few of them go, you know, so most people are, lots of people are on anxiety medication and on med mental health medication, but they're not in therapy. 
It's like the whole society has this rash and all we've done is create soap to help the rash. So we're like, man, I've been itching. And somebody else like, yeah, me too. And we look at our arms and we got this rash on us. And, and so somebody's like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to create this soap, this product that's going to help you, you know, with that rash. And, and then other companies make other soaps and different ones and that smell different and, and affect the body differently. And, and we all kind of get lulled into, okay, well, man, I'm happy that the rash is gone 85% of the time. That's way better than it being on my body. And then we never really stop to think or ask, why does everybody have a rash? Where, where's it coming from? How do we stop it? And, and we've done the same thing, I think, with anxiety and fear. And so today I hope we dive, I'm going to try to dive down into where does this stuff come from? What are the roots of psychology and sociology and, and theology? And, and we're going to use Matthew chapter 6 to try to integrate those two things. Um, one of the things we do at our practice is we try to bring kind of a strong biblical lens to mental health. And so counseling, you know, it still has a stigma, but we hope that we can break down that stigma and help people see that, you know, counseling is just another, from a Christian perspective, just another form of discipleship and accountability. And if you don't have it in your church, if you don't trust the people that you're in, if you have church trauma, if you've had bad experiences, I hope that today can help you see, you know, kind of how to weave psychology and Jesus together. So in Matthew six thirty four, Jesus tells the disciples, they're Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Today has enough trouble of its own. A more truer statement has never been said, right? If we look at today, it has so much to worry about. Currently, we're in a worldwide pandemic, and we've been taught to be terrified for the past 18 months. If you're listening to this in the future, you know, I hope that we are looking at this entire situation and learning from it instead of being a part of the it being a downfall of our society. I have a guess which one it, be, it will be, but I hope I'm wrong. If it brings people closer to Jesus and moves them from fear to faith, you know, I guess I don't really care which way it goes. But the reality is, is that I don't see any change in the way that this, um, this pandemic, you know, is, is going to affect our culture in a negative light. I, I hope that we can find some ways out of it. But the reality is, it's going to change the way we see America and the world forever. In the past decade, besides the pandemic, right, worry and anxiety has skyrocketed. Uh, many adults and children struggle with crippling anxiety, and research shows that the average teenager has as much clinical anxiety as an adult in a psychiatric ward in the 1950s. It's insane. You know, we, you think about an average teenager and a person in, in a psych ward in the 1950s, and you, that might sound crazy, but the reality is it's just because it's so normalized. You know, if they all have anxiety and they're all you know, cutting and picking and, and using technology and social media to cope, then it just looks like, oh, well, this is normal. But there's been a 19% increase in clinical anxiety and depression diagnosis as in, an incoming freshman in college in the last 10 years, a 200% increase in self-harm for teen girls, and a 167% increase in suicide in 10 to 14-year-old girls. So these facts, these stats, they, they surprise us and, and shock us, and that's part of the problem. And it might be that we're focused on the wrong battles. Another issue in our culture is that we are worried about the wrong things and treating the symptoms, not the root causes, like I said earlier. The church has fallen in this trap as well. Our, our statistics are the same as the world, unfortunately. We're, we're worried about our kids being harmed by a stranger instead of on a device in their hands. What I mean is, is that one in five children are victims of sexual abuse by 18. And 83% of that is by someone they know. But we're scared to let them go down the aisle at Target or ride their bike to the, in the neighborhood. But we're not ready to protect our children from those around us and equip them sexually with the, their, the right body parts, with the right language, 
right, to help them to navigate the world of traumatized adults and traumatized teenagers. We give them unfettered access to devices. So we, we give them so many presents and toys and activities and events that they are overwhelmed and overstimulated to the point that it's literally changing their brains and the ways that they function. Now, we do it with good intentions, right? I, I do it too. I mean, we all make mistakes. It's not a blame parents, shame parents, but it's a cycle. It's a process that we have to, to look at and see what are we really doing? How is our fear and our anxiety around parenting and, our, and providing our kids what we need or what they need, right? What we think they need versus what we think they want. Um, but we do this with a lack of awareness, you know, of the consequences and the drastic changes to society. In 2021, the average American spends 16.3 hours on a screen per day, which means in the next 60 years from today, right now, if we look 60 years and nothing changes, that's 44 years total that we will spend looking at screens. The average child views pornography as early as 8 to 11 years of age, and 80% of parents have no rules for devices in their home and no monitoring of text messages, apps, or internet browsing. So that means adults can privately message, educate, and indoctrinate our kids while they sit on the couch next to us, and we don't even know. And I'd ask if we care. I think we do. I think many parents listening to this podcast care deeply, but we are just not aware of how these things are creeping into our home. And so these technological advances have changed the world forever. We all have the same evil and sin in our hearts, but due to the advances, we can have those spread and snowball bigger and stronger and faster than ever. And our brains are literally changing, right? Our anxiety level, our cortisol level, which is a stress hormone, when we're born is so much higher than it's ever been. And we as adults, we control the flow of society. And as the church, we set the model and the, the pace for the world. So we must learn to defer our rewards instead of look for immediate gratification. We have to slow down to connect. Due to this change in the past decade, the consequences keep devastating even these church statistics. And like I said, unfortunately, the church stats look just like the world. The divorce rate, the porn use, the angry outbursts on social media, sexual abuse allegations, suffocating debt, mental health struggles, overeating, and food addiction all look the same in the church as in the world for the most part. We edit and curate our pictures from we're posting them on social media, and we get lost in the scroll and the swipe because of the dopamine and addiction lifestyle that we're living. One of the problems, I think, is that we want to be normal. We want to fit in. We don't want to be weird or strange or different. And this comes from our own trauma and our own history of feeling left out and feeling not good enough and feeling not unworthy. And as we grow into adults, we desire to feel connected and to be a part and, and to be um, in society in a way that we feel known and valued and wanted. And unfortunately, the world doesn't care about that. And so they create these groups and these things to suck us into that aren't going to end up giving us that connection, but, but death in some ways. Death in our spirit, death in our soul, death in our bodies. According to Scripture, we have to be in the world, but not of it. We are called to swim upstream and be different. The problem is that we are trying to treat internal wounds with external solutions. We are trying to treat fear with numbing. We are so numbed out that the breath of God that we talked about earlier is barely being breathed into our lungs. The Holy Spirit has no space to speak into our hearts because we are filling our hearts and our minds with a narrative that is false instead of the truth of the gospel. Medications being given out like candy, op opiate overdoses are very common now. 50,000 people last year died of drug and of, of opiate over overdose. It's insanity. What are we trying to numb out? What are we trying to cope with? 
I believe it's this pain. It's this lack of love, this lack of, of real connection. Drug and alcohol addiction is on the rise. Since COVID shut down, alcohol sales, drug addiction, these things have blown up. Porn use. Pornhub had an 18.3% increase in its viewing over the last year because of our isolation. Right? And, and food. I mean, our eating is just horrible. Our diet culture is killing us. It's keeping us feeling not good enough, unworthy, measuring ourselves against other people. The list goes on and on. And we have to use, you know, we use all these things to cover our fear and treat our pain. But I really believe the root of so much of this, this these symptoms, because all that's just symptomatic, is, is our fear and our ego. So what does God say? What does he want us to do with all that's going on around us with all that fear? Well, God actually commands us to, to not fear or worry. The phrase fear not is used at least 80 times in the Bible. Most likely because he knows the enemy uses fear to decrease our hope and limit our victories. In Isaiah 43, 1, it says, Don't fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. This command is something that is not easy to follow at all. I know that. And at times, it can be a bit confusing for all of us. This year, we've had plenty of fear, right? Between COVID and Afghanistan and hurricanes and natural disasters, we got melting ice caps and increasing gas prices, and even Netflix took our beloved The Office off of uh, off of there, and that was really disappointing. <laughs> That's a tragedy. But I know fear has bubbled up in all of our hearts, and mine especially recently. You know, I've been challenged to dig deep and find what the root is and pull it out. It doesn't stop. You know, I've been in therapy for twenty years, and I'm still digging and digging and digging and trying to find the roots. And when I find them, sometimes they, they grow back up, even though I thought I, I pulled them out. When the Afghanistan thing happened and Katrina happened, I, you know, two weeks in a row, it just smacked me upside the head and memories flooded back in and feelings of helplessness. You know, they try to climb up and strangle me. But when I look at my two boys and I see the world they're growing into, fear drives a stake in my heart. So what do we do? How, how are we able to keep fighting? How do we, how do we keep doing this? How do I, how do you? How can we find hope with all that's going on around us? How do we continue to draw a deep breath from of life from God? Let that Ruach come into us and continue to sustain us. Well, I've been in therapy for about 20 years. And the Holy Spirit and the grace of God has poured over my fear. And, and I've learned to better integrate those past traumas and make meaning and purpose out of them. And the more I do that, the more... They don't say things about my worth and value, but they say things about the brokenness of the world. And they point me to the need for a Savior, the need for the gospel. They point me to humility, to die to myself. Um, and, I, and I don't do that well or perfect by any means. But every one of us as a Christ follower has that opportunity. This is not a story of us and our pain. It's a story of God and His ability to rescue us, to help us, to comfort us in our fear. We have a chance to see beauty from ashes. Not by our own strength, but by the power that raised Jesus from the dead. So how do we do this? I think in order to change, we have to believe and we have to understand what we believe. We have to deconstruct some false beliefs and unlearn some things. Or we have to learn some things maybe that we've never known. It's not enough to sit in a room and pray for God to relieve us of our burden, of our fear, but we must see ourselves and God properly. And have the right perspective of who we are and whose we are. Many of us avoid dealing or looking at the past trauma that has made us afraid of people, places, and things. I know I have. And I want us to understand that fear 
and avoidance are, are very similar, but they're not necessarily the same thing. God does not want us to feel shame when we fear, but he does want us to do something with it. He wants us to turn fear to faith. He wants us to draw in the breath of life and to move forward with hope. Now, Jesus was fully man and fully God, so we have to, we have to look to Jesus for everything. And, and he struggled with these fears and these doubts. He, he even wanted to avoid pain. But Jesus understood both avoidance and fear very clearly. And he was a little tempted by them. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was in so much pain, he sweat blood. He was in so much pain for a moment, he wanted to avoid going to the cross. His first response to God was, Father, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And the cup was the wrath of God poured out that was going to be poured out on him. And his human instinct, you know, he feared. He wanted to avoid. Obviously, it's not always a sin, then, if you fear you want to avoid, because Jesus struggled with it in his humanity. It's not always a sin to have fear, but it may be a product of sin in our genetics or our family history. I think God expects it from broken humans, right, that we're going to fear in a broken world. And so he sent Jesus to pay for our sin and cover our sins because he knew we couldn't do it. I believe to know, right, how to turn fear to faith, we, we have to establish the answer to a few questions. Is my anxiety or fear from my personal sin or a product of living in a sinful world? Should I feel shame about fear or should I look to the Father to see me through my worries like he did Jesus in the garden? What part am I responsible for and what part is outside of my control? And then lastly, you know, am I sinning when I fear? I think these are questions that people ask me all the time. And when we don't know these answers, we don't know what we believe, then when we're in the moment and we're actually acting on these answers and we're doing these things and we're responding in this way, then we feel shame and guilt because we're not connecting it to our beliefs and to the root. I love using the example um, to help shine some light on the subject of when fear is not an individual sin, but a product of sin. Okay, so the example is if there's a bear in the woods and we do not fear, what's going to happen? Do we see the bear, the grizzly, and we go, well, God's good and he's there and he's going to save me, so I'm just going to walk right up to the bear? No, if we do that, we're going to get eaten. And so sometimes the issue with fear and anxiety is chemistry and not character. It's our body's way of letting us know that there's something wrong that we need to adjust to or address. This means that in order to overcome our fear and worry, we must understand the two ways that sin, like the sin of fear and the lies of Satan, affects us. In the case of the bear, it's general sin, a broken world that causes us to fear. Right? Fear is sometimes our natural and normal response to an ungodly situation. It still involves brokenness and sin, don't get me wrong, but not specific to us. Remember, Jesus died to cover all sin, general and specific. What I mean is is that by general sin, not specific, is that if there was not sin in the world, there wouldn't be a bear to eat us, and there would not be fear in our hearts. Death would not be something we would be afraid of. If we go back to Genesis 1, 29-30, it tells us, I give you every, God says, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit within, within it with seed in it. They will be your food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And man, it struck me when I read this because, and, it, and then it says, and so it was. It struck me because this was before sin entered the world. There was There was no... Death, right? Death, death was never supposed to be a thing. We were never supposed to kill each other. Sickness and brokenness were never a part of the plan. In the beginning, the lion lay with the lamb, right? The animals didn't eat each other. They ate the plants. And because of Jesus, they will one day again. 
return and the lion will lay with the lamb. Unfortunately, due to Adam and Eve's original sin, we are all suffering and part of a sinful world. Due to the fall, which was caused by Adam and Eve's fear and pride, sin gets passed down all the way from the beginning. Because of original sin in the garden, we do not always know that we are loved, secure, and in God's care. And rarely are we loved and secure in the world. This causes us deep fear and a sense of self-reliance, a.k.a. pride. So preparing for this week, it made me think to ask God, what, what was the original sin? What was the original sin, pride or fear or a mix of the two? And can we separate those out? My wife sent me a text the other day um, that said, FOMO broke the world. And FOMO means fear of missing out. And I thought it was a really good example that we see this sin when we are picking, you know, I see this sin in my own life when, we're, when I'm picking my kids up a, a school out, um, when I'm trying to, when we decide what career we're going to have, what, what vacation we're going to go on, who do I give our money to, should we remodel the house or not, do we go to Nukes or Canes after church? When God's goodness is in doubt, we are not thinking clearly. All choices can lead to anxiety and fear. Why? Because we're doubting the goodness of God and his grace and his mercy for us. We constantly stand at the ready for things to fall apart and go badly. Many of us have seen this too many times in our own family of origin stories, our own experiences with church, with mentors, with therapists. People have failed us, and we think God will too. Recently, we got a dog, and uh, we we're having to pick between these like three puppies. So we're on Zoom, and we're looking at these three dogs, and I felt this swell of anxiety and fear come up because you know, the choice was ours and we're going to have to live with this thing and this, the consequences, good or bad. And I wanted to make the perfect choice, right? And I realized I wanted to make the perfect choice because I didn't want there to be any suffering involved. Like as if that exists, like we can pick a dog that's going to, you know, be perfect and not have any issues and not bite our kids and not, you know, be, have the perfect temperament. And it's like, is that the goal for life? Is that everything that we do and all of our stuff has to, has to work out to where it's perfect for us and it's perfect comfort. Of course not. That doesn't exist, right? And that's not shouldn't be the goal. In today's world of 24-hour news cycles and social media, we're, we're constantly listening to narratives that tell us we're not enough, we're always missing out, right, to move on to the next best thing, that we need more and more comfort and things to make us secure and happy with ourselves. And this continues to cause more and more anxiety in our children and in the adults in the church today. Apparently, we're doing it 16 hours a day. So how many hours are we taking in the Word? How many hours are we letting another Christian with the Holy Spirit speak truth against the lies? No wonder we're in fear. No wonder we want to eat the fruit of instant gratification. No wonder we don't measure up. To understand what creates anxiety from a biblical and psychological perspective, we, we have to understand our history and how humans develop. Generational sin is this biblical term that we pass down our sins through the generations, but I want you to understand God's not Zeus with a lightning bolt. It's not that your grandfather sinned and bam, God calls you to have addiction or affliction or whatever. But due to your sin, the sins of your grandfather or your father, we are set up to deal with these sins in our own lives more often than not. And this term in psychology is called epigenetics, right, or science. For this, in the Bible, it's generational sin, but in psychology, this, this term epigenetics, it's, it's what is talking about the passing down from one, two, three generations. Part of our issues as humans is that, that sin continues to be passed down from generation to generation, and we need to realize that we're not a tabula rasa, this blank slate. 
We have sin in our history that we inherit, and we, we don't come out perfectly from birth. And then the world screws us up. We come out predisposed for all kinds of different sins and desires that are unique to our genetic wirings. But our predisposition is not our destiny. We can change this. And we see this, this kind of narrative of generational sin or epigenetics throughout Scripture as the sins of one generation are passed down to the, the sins of another, and, it, and the consequences of disobedience continue to, continue to be catastrophic. Their fear and their doubt continue to plague them. From a psychological perspective, we have studied this through what we call the ACEs scores. These adverse childhood experiences scale. So we, we look at children and what affects them and... Um, and you can look this up, but it's things like sexual abuse, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, different neglects, child, child being um, abused, a parent being abused, drugs in the home. So we know these things that children experience in childhood affect the outcome of their life. But the world and even the church has spent so much time dealing with treating symptoms that we've forgotten about the foundations. Scripture talks about building a house on sinking stand or on a firm foundation. Well, if we have anxiety and fear that is causing significant issues, we have to look deeper and reform and reorganize our foundations. So let's move a little bit from generational sin, general sin, to specific sin. We just looked at how sin can cause anxiety from a biological and generational issue. But let's take a step further and look at our own hearts and how maybe our own anxiety is coming from a broken foundation. If we're able to live biblical lives where worry doesn't plague us and we can find peace, we must understand how each of us, right, deal with fear and anxiety, what tools God has given us to overcome these lies of the devil. And we have to name them that. There are two major foundations that have been, you know, to be in place to lower and defeat these lies of Satan. These lies of Satan that bring up fear and anxiety. The first is love, right, which is our identity. And the second is trust, our safety. We can take violations of love and trust all the way back to the fall in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve everything they ever needed or ever wanted without reservation, without inconsistency or any violation, and yet because of their fear and their pride, they needed something more. Just like us. They wanted to control and play God. When I find myself afraid or hypervigilant about a situation or my kids, it's because I want to control the outcome or be able to write the narrative to which I'm the hero or I'm good enough. I want to know that I'm loved and I'm secure and I want to be in control of that because I certainly don't want to live that, leave that up to the other person or even God sometimes. Every one of us on earth grew up under some form of parenting and many of us are passing down another form to our children. When we take in the lies of the world or from our family of origin that tell us that we're unloved, unworthy, not good enough, it causes these trenches in our brains and it causes us to react with chemicals and protections so we're no longer in pain. When we feel like the church isn't safe or our job or our boss isn't safe or our marriage or our relationships are not safe, the same thing happens. We try to control or withdraw so that our safety and our security is maintained. This tends to come out in negative and maladaptive coping skills that bring about more disconnection and conflict. We yell, we scream, we shame ourselves, we manipulate, we lie, we watch porn, we lose, you know, lose our minds, we go to work, we get obsessed about golf, we get obsessed about things in our lives, and we focus on them so much to avoid the pain. And we have to stop doing that. We have to change the process. We have to stop letting fear, right, cause us to do behaviors that destroy the people in our lives, that destroy ourselves, and that all cycles back to that we believe we deserve it. Right? So what are some things we can do to change this process? 
Well, there's three ways that today we can give you simply that you can focus on to change our beliefs. We have to remember our beliefs shape our thoughts and feelings, which shape our actions. So if we want to change our actions, our fear, our anxiety, we have to think, we have to look at in the moment, what am I thinking and feeling? And what's that say I believe about God, myself, and other people? So in order, if we see our, our view of God skewed, skewed and screwed up, we must look to God's word. We must find what specific lies have been told to us and that are causing us anxiety, that are causing us pride, that are causing us fear. And we must use scripture to battle these arrows that Satan's shooting at us. The Bible says that the word is the sword and we can strike down these arrows with it. And so a lot of times when I'm having these intrusive thoughts, I literally imagine uh, putting on the armor of God holding the holding the sword the sword and the the shield and blocking arrows and um and I do that visual representation sometimes three four times a day and I name that satan I tell him to get away to get out of here sometimes I cuss him out to be honest <clears throat> sometimes I scream at him and tell him you know who I am and who he is and to get away to get out that I'm not going to let him lie to me that I'm not going to let him trick me that I'm <clears throat> I'm going to use the word I'm going to use the truth of the gospel to defeat that and I'm going to trust that it's not on me, that God's going to come in and he's going to, he's already won the war. He's already won the battle. He's, he's the champion, not me. You know, it kind of reminds me of, uh, David and Goliath. It's like so many times we, we hear that story and we think, oh, well, if I have enough faith, you know, I'll be like David and overcome this giant of fear. But the reality is, is that story is about God and who God is and how God shows up. And, and he gives us the strength. It wasn't David's strength. David was just there and available for God to work through him. And we have to be the same way, but that means we have to believe that about God. We have to know that in scripture. Number two is trusted others. So first we got God's word and God's relationship. And two, we have trusted others. We have got to get back to a biblical discipleship. And we're working on some stuff at Glenn Davis counseling and with some other people, uh, Tyler that I mentioned earlier, and we're working on some ideas about biblical discipleship from a therapeutic lens and from a uh, integrated lens between psychology and, and psych and theology and how to get that out. And so we have to get back to this discipleship, true discipleship. And this means we have to slow down and be intentional to be in community with fellow believers. We have to share our stories with one another and boast in our weaknesses and show others that healing and restoration is possible, that Christ can bring this into our lives. It's, it's from the, the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and so as trusted others, we have to be sharing with each other what God has done, what God is doing to redeem and restore us. Not just, hey, when I was 16, I gave my life to Jesus at a concert. I was saved and now I'm good. But what is he doing now? What is he doing this week? Because I know he's constantly redeeming me. He's constantly redeeming my clients. He's constantly working in my family's life and in my friend's life. And, and that is not a story about me that, or them. It's a story about God. And it's a story about all of us, that we all have that. And when we share those stories, people hear it and people find hope. We have to seek accountability we, and sharpening from those around us, which means we have to open ourselves up to other people and let them in on our weaknesses and our strengths and help them, help them see us for who we truly are. When we feel down, we have to have other Christians who love us like Jesus, who encourage us and speak truth in our lives and are laser-focused around the lies that Satan has taught us in our life. And lastly, we have to move out of the victim seat and into personal responsibility. Look, I'm a therapist, so yeah, we have been hurt, and maybe we were traumatized, and we have to work through that. There should be validation and healing there. It has to be. We have to go back to go forward. I believe that. 
But this must also stir us to action. This must stir us into bringing the good news of the gospel to other people if we're Christians, if we're Christ followers. Because in our story, in our narrative, the deeper we get into it, the more we realize that it's not about us. That the people who hurt us and the people who abused us and the people who neglected us, they were abused and neglected. They were lost. They were hopeless. And so their abuse of us says way more about them than it does us. And so we can move out of this victim seat and this need for validation because we have been validated. We've been adopted. We've been rescued. We've been redeemed. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation for others, not because of our own works, not because of our own abilities, not because we can do anything about it, but because God says that we are, that he's given us that, right? That he's given us that through the blood of Jesus, through the death on the cross. And so we can fight against fear. We can step out in faith, right? Knowing that God loves us, that we have people in our corner and that we believe it and that we boast in it and we give our testimony of it. We must understand who we are, where our past pains come from, where our current triggers point to, and then we can begin to allow God to be the one who takes our fears. His love and his grace will blanket us and cover us from worry. This allows us to step forward without the mask that we wear. We can own our sin and our struggles because we know that they don't define us They don't define our love and our security in the eyes of our creator. Even those things that define us to the world don't define us. As the world constantly tries to tell you that your sin and your problems and your pain, your past and your misdeeds and failures, they define you. God says they don't. That we are hidden in Christ. That we are washed white as snow. That we stand in his righteousness. Paul's a great example of this, right? Of this transformation. He he moved from someone who was dragging Christians into the street to be murdered to a person who openly and honestly brought the gospel to the world. Not by pretending that you know to be holy, but by being honest about his inability to do so. He walked unafraid because he had already been redeemed and restored. He moved from a victim, angry and in pain, into a reconciled son of God, ready to reconcile others. And so Paul tells us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. In Romans 12, 2, he says, And be not conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is good, acceptable, and the perfect will of God. So in order to get rid of our anxiety and our pride and our fear, we must change the way we think and address the deep-rooted lies and false beliefs of our past and our present. I challenge you today, as a follower of Christ, to dig deep into the work of sanctification, to do the hard work of renewing your mind and getting your heart right with the Lord. There are a lot of tips and tricks out there to help people through treating symptoms of anxiety and fear, and and those things are helpful. Cognitive behavioral therapy, DBT, these different types of modalities, they're very, very helpful in, in treating the symptoms. But we have to pay attention to the root. We have to pay attention to the way we breathe, right, our bodies. Paying attention to our breath is incredibly important because it lets us know where we're at, and if we're in fear, we're in faith. Sometimes the church can add this negative support to this, right? When we tell people, just pray more or read your Bible more or just get over it and don't be afraid, it can actually make it worse. The truth is that we need community and the power of the Holy Spirit living in us and in others to overcome everything. We need to breathe in the breath of life for others and receive the breath of life from the Holy Spirit. None of us can do this alone. In the garden, Jesus was able to push through and go to the cross because he trusted the Father and he knew that he was loved unconditionally. He wanted to fear and avoid the cross, but because of the love of his dad, his dad, he did the next right thing. So I ask you, 
Will you trust the Father? Will you dive into the truth of the Word? Will you join true, authentic, and vulnerable relationships to be loved on and encouraged? Will you let someone see you fully in all your brokenness and beauty? Because the reality is, if we don't let people see all of it, then we never really believe that we're lovable. But when we share and we're open and we boast in our weaknesses and we tell what God's doing and we confess ourselves to someone else and they sit there and they love us anyway and they say, me too, I struggle too, I'm afraid too, I've been there too, then we're actually loved fully. It's not when we're loved when we put on our faces and we do the the church thing or the, the worldly thing and we say we got it together and we curate it and post it on social media. It's when we're in intimate relationships where we really share our pain and our fears and our behaviors and somebody loves us anyway that healing is brought forth and that fear goes away and that faith takes the lead. So I promise if you do this, you'll never be the same. I'm not saying that you won't fear, that that fear won't creep up or that anxiety won't be present because it will be. But I'm telling you that when you do, you will feel equipped to defend against it. So if you're struggling today, and you need support, please reach out. You do not have to do this alone. Sometimes it takes a lot of work to get the brain going in the right direction, especially as an adult. But once you do, then each time you do, it gets easier and easier. Each time you face that same fear, that same struggle, those same intrusive thoughts, you remember the last time you got over it. You have these markers of where God was good in your life and where he showed you the way. Right? And Jesus says that he's the way, the truth, and the life. So thanks for listening today. I hope this podcast blesses you. I hope that you can find the presence of the one true God and the one true King in Jesus today. And I pray you live in peace and not in pain and freedom and not fear. Thanks for listening. I hope you subscribe to our podcast. Um, follow our social media accounts. to Get more information out there. Help more people. And I'll continue to try to bring you good content and try to continue to share our story here at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness through the podcast, Asking Why. And uh, I hope you have a good day. See you soon.